We want to welcome you all tonight to the service. I was thinking that when we come in contact with the gospel, whether we're saved or whether we're not, if we think at all, it becomes a definite struggle. If we're not saved, when we hear the word of God, it has to have some kind of effect on us so that there has to be a struggle going on within our minds and within our hearts. And when we're saved, there's still a struggle to go on and to consecrate fully to the Lord and, and to do like the song that Connie was playing before, Take My Will and Make It Thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. I think that once we really come to know the Lord, we realize that in order to really be happy, it has to come to the point in our lives where we no longer let our own desires and our own will and our own ideas be important to us. Because unless that happens, there's always that struggle, that struggle that of not being satisfied until one's life is fully on the altar where God can completely control. We hear out in the world so many people talk about knowing God, but very few people really know Him personally. It's one thing to go to church on Wednesday and Sunday, and one thing to talk about the Bible, and a whole other thing to do like the scripture says, in Him we live and move and have our very being. That's a different walk. That's the kind of walk the disciples had with Jesus when he said that they forsook all and they followed him. That's one of the reasons why in the gospel we have such a hard time convincing people that walking with God is not just doing all the things that we want to do all week and then come to church on Wednesday and Sunday and worship God. It's just the other way around. Our whole lives are serving God and then what we have to do to make a living and to, to go on in this life becomes a part of life. And once we get those priorities in their place and it's only God doing it for us, can we really be happy in Him? I like what the psalmist said. He said, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Isn't that beautiful? 
we want to turn in our hymnals to that song that Connie was just playing on page 239, Take My Life and Let It Be. Before we sing this song, I wanted to read something to you that I thought was appropriate and fits in very well with the song, and we should think about what the author said. He said, the more we know of ourselves, the less satisfied we shall be with our own hearts. And the more we know of mankind, the less willing shall we be to trust them, and the less shall we admire them. It's Christ who is our life and who is the one that we want to follow after. There's a beautiful song on page 149 in the Evening Light book. When first I started, 76, I'm sorry. When first I started to seek the Lord, I'm glad I counted the cost. I was thinking the other day as I felt sorrow in my heart for watching my parents slowly deteriorate this last year and I thought to myself the words of the second verse of the song it says I laid my sorrows at Jesus feet Amen. I'm so thankful that whatever comes to us in life that we have a God that we can trust and whatever comes to us in life that we can do like this song says, when first I started to seek the Lord, I'm glad I counted the cost. I laid my sorrows at Jesus' feet, I'm glad I counted the cost. I bid farewell to this world of sin, I'm glad I counted the cost. I cast on Jesus my every care, I'm glad I counted the cost. Twill not be long till the Lord shall come, I'm glad I counted the cost. The Bible says that our life is like a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away. When you're young, you don't think so much about that happening. And when you get a little older and you start seeing people that you love and care for that are gone, you know that the Bible is true and that the only way that we can be prepared to meet God is to look into his word and find that the only way we can make it is to listen to him. We can get hard and ignore the facts, and then we shall still meet him. Or we can pay attention to the word of God and come to him and give him, give him our lives and find comfort in knowing that we can do what this song says. Treasures are in the sky, I'm 
talk about something tonight that all of us have, and that is a heart. We all have a heart, don't we? I looked up the definition of a heart, had a big picture of a human heart, and said that one of the explanations was that it was a, a pump in vertebrates to make the blood flow. Then there was another definition that I'm interested in tonight, and we all will be, and it says the heart, the whole personality, including intellectual as well as emotional functions or traits, such as intellect or memory and opinion and attitude. And then the one I liked best was one's innermost being, the heart. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. There's, I think, two, possibly 300 scriptures concerning the heart. It has some very enlightening things to say about it. It's more than just a blood pump, and we're going to find that out as we go along tonight. In the Proverbs, the fourth chapter in the 23rd verse, the writer said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now when people converse with one another and they're talking about serious matters, they say, Well, let your conscience be your guide, or... Uh, do what your heart tells you to do. You've heard those expressions, haven't you? Do what your heart says. What is the real feelings? You know, the, the Greeks uh, used the stomach as uh, the place of compassion and, and, and affection. They, Paul even spoke about it when he said, uh, have the, the bowels of mercy. So it, it was their stomach that they concerned themselves with, but... Uh, we're more enlightened than they are and we talk about the heart because that's where really our life is. Keep it, he says, with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Matthew 15 and 18, we go to the New Testament. Jesus was constantly confronted with people who were evil and trying to find fault with him and cause him a great deal of trouble. And he said concerning this matter, but those things which proceedeth out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. So he said these evils, these things that people do, they first proceed from the heart. The thought becomes an action. The thought of hatred can become murder. The lust after a woman can become adultery or fornication or the other way around. The desire to covet something can become theft. The uh, false witness, the lie can come about to keep someone out of trouble and blasphemies as well all of these things come out of a heart not a very good one is it I would say a person who would do one or any of these things their heart uh, they would be uh, they'd have uh, heart trouble wouldn't they 
Let's go back to Matthew 12 and 34. The gentle and lowly Jesus as we know him, meek as he was and mild, yet when it came to dealing with religious hypocrites, uh, dealing with uh, people who had greater light and a greater responsibility and refused to obey and were stubborn in heart, he had some very scathing words for people like that. Jesus didn't talk like this to the common people and to the, to, uh, to the um, people that uh, were not in places of religious authority and should have known better, but he talked to these Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, someone said one time in a message uh, concerning that, he says, some folks go around and say, fair I see and sad you see. They had that idea about people. Well, that's what they were like. He called them a generation of vipers. Now, that's a pretty bad snake. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Oh, but I didn't mean that. You ever hear that? I didn't mean to say that. Well, that came out, didn't it? Where did it come from? Came out of our hearts, didn't it? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In certain provocations, people will say things. And you know, you can't hardly take them back. Someone went to a priest one time to confess their sins, and they were saying, uh, they called the priest father, said, Father, I have a terrible habit of gossiping. I just can't keep from talking about everybody. What, I, what am I going to do? I'm confessing it and I feel like I should do some penance. So what should I do? And he says, oh, here, I'll tell you what you do. Get yourself a chicken. Kill it and pluck out all of the feathers and throw them to the wind. She thought, well, that's pretty easy. And then he said, after you've thrown them to the wind, go out and gather them all. Well, she said, that's impossible. I can't do that. I can't find all those feathers. And he said, neither can you recall those words of gossip. Well, you know, I don't think she did much of that anymore after that. But it was out of her heart, and out of the heart proceedeth whatever we speak. And he told these religious hypocrites, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The issues of life, and out of the abundance of our heart, our words come forth. Well, let's go back in the Old Testament and find the condition, not a very pleasant part of the message right here, but nevertheless true, over in Ecclesiastes 8, we find Solomon, the writer, talking about a heart. He said, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, Neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. Solomon was a very brilliant man. He was a very observant man. He was a very aware of what was going on around. He was probably far and above more intellectual and more, more comprehensive of things in the world than, than most people were. And he said, I have observed these things and I've applied my heart to these works that are done under the sun and there is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they were forgotten in the city which 
they had so done, and this is also vanity. I saw the wicked buried that come and, go, uh, come and went, and they were forgotten very quickly. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. According to statistics, there is about 10% of uh, society or certain places, maybe the percentage is more than others, 10% uh, of the people are felonous. They're, they're just wicked. They commit crimes continually. And they, they don't seem to be rehabilitated no matter what they try to do to them. They're just wicked people. They just keep on doing things against the law, both of God and, and society. And, and, and this is what he's saying. Because they don't get punished right away, speedily, they think that they're going to get away with it. And the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You ever watch any uh, interviews of prisoners, uh, uh, lifers, and people that are in, in and out of prison most of the time? I heard a man one time uh, being interviewed, and, and he said, when I was out there, I carried a gun and I carried a knife. And he said, when anybody hassled me, I just pulled out the gun and blew him away, and that took care of that. That's how callous the man was. He was so hard that if anybody gave him any trouble at all, he settled the thing by shooting the man. And then I read about an old-timer back in the Old West, uh, or I heard about him. He said, uh, they said of him, uh, he once shot a man because he snored too loud. They were sleeping in the same house. Now that, that is wicked. Fully set in them. The, the heart is fully set to do evil. Genesis 8 and 21. After Noah had gotten off the ship and offered sacrifice to the Lord, and all there were was eight people left in the whole world. In 21 it says, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart. Did you know the Lord had a heart too? Has a heart? God is a spirit, but using human language... He tries to convey unto us that he has a heart. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. That was a long time ago. That was 4,000 years ago, and God's still keeping his promise. He hasn't killed the whole world yet like he did before. And he set the rainbow up in the heavens to show us and remind us that he isn't going to flood the world again anymore. But he said that man's heart, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth up. Now that's not the philosophy of our educational system today. It, it does, I don't know how to explain it sometimes, what they're trying to do. But what basically is happening is they're trying to do away with all absolutes. Everything is relative. Uh, everything uh, is, something is due to environment and, and if we can uh, improve the environment of man, we can make him a better person. And, and eventually, if we can uh, educate him, we'll, we'll uh, make a utopia out of this world. Well, it hasn't worked very well, has it? The imagination of men's hearts. They've tried to do away with the fact that we are born with an inherent nature to do wrong. We are, we are, uh, in a, 
in the strictest sense of the scriptures, a depraved people from the very beginning of, uh, of existence. Uh, total depravity is rejected by our intellectual society. They say uh, it, it's not that way at all. Of course, they've d done all they can to try to do away with God. Uh, secular humanism has done, done its best to do away with God, to do away with the Bible. And now when, when some of these uh, uh, intellectual men, these men with PhDs in various fields, are coming along and saying, we need to teach creation in the school system and show that there was a special creation. Then they can also show scientifically now that there was a universal flood in the world. It's just like the Bible says, but they don't want that. And so they fight it tooth and nail to keep anything that, uh, that's biblical and that's true out of the school system. You see, they took this school system and, and uh, produced now uh, practicing atheists. That's what's going on. And that's why we have all the attended evils in our society of drugs and illicit sex and, and pornography and all of the corruption that exists in our society. They've tried to do away with God. There was a move on uh, not too many years ago to say that God was dead. And a lot of people rose up and said, well, your God is dead, but mine's still living. I talked with him this morning, shallow talk like that. And uh, they, they weren't very successful at it, you see, because in every human being there's a cry in the heart. The soul cries out for God and desires to know God. But all of society that is against God, you know, this world is no friend of grace. They're not interested in grace. They're not interested in salvation. They're not interested in, in this simplicity of the gospel. They don't want it anymore. Not even the religions want it. And so the imagination of men's heart is evil continually. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong. They automatically do it. Why? Because there's an inherent nature born within them from the very beginning that's, that, that wants to go away from God instead of come to him. Over in Jeremiah 17 and 5, Thus saith the Lord. Whenever you see that in the Bible, pay attention. Because when thus saith the Lord, the next thing to, that you listen to is the most important thing. Because whatever God says, that's the most important thing. I may add my own idea and I may add my own uh, uh, words to this, but listen first what God says. That's the most important thing I'm doing up here. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart is departed from the Lord. From the Lord. That is a curse. For a person to walk away from an opportunity to know God and to walk with God, that's a curse upon that man. He has invited a curse upon himself. That's what he said. For he shall be like the hearth in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. That's not a very pleasant place to live, isn't it? Is it? That's not like La Jolla, California. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord whose hope the Lord is. For she, he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Here is a picture of two kinds of people. One who departed from the Lord and, and their life is dry and, and dull and, and unproductive. And here's another person who trusts in the Lord and everything's going well. And then in 9 he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's not a very pretty picture, is it? Deceitful. You think you've got your act together, so to speak? You think that uh, 
that uh, you, you're directing your life and, and the things that you think are the things that, uh, that seem pretty good in the direction that you're going, uh, you're, you're making it uh, yourself in life. Listen, the scripture says the heart is deceitful above everything. Don't trust it. Don't trust your own heart because it will deceive you. There's three kinds of deceit in the world. The devil will deceive people. Human beings, other human beings will deceive other human beings. And your own heart will deceive you. So you can't trust it because it's not only deceitful, but it's desperately wicked. Who can know the heart of man? And the answer is, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. There is a time coming when God is going to pay everybody for what they're doing. Someday, the preacher said, payday. We need more preaching like this. We need more people to get up in the pulpit and, and say, thus saith the Lord. This business about God is all love and God uh, wouldn't send anybody to hell and, and God uh, would forgive everybody and, and when they die all their sins are going to be cleansed away and all that kind of talk, that's not in here. The scripture says that Jesus told some Jews one time, he said, if you die in your sins, you cannot come where I am. Oh, and I hear some people saying, well, we can't live without sin in this world. Uh, we still got a body, and so we can't help but, but live. Uh, uh, the, the old man sins, and the spirit is okay, and all that double talk. That isn't in here either. God has made it possible that we may live pleasing to him in this life. Jesus walked this life that way. And the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So we need some preaching to lay it out here real plain, that if you die in your sins, you're going to go to a devil's hell. If you live in sin and die in sin, you're going to go to a devil's hell. God is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's the kind of preaching. Oh, I know they say we're Bible thumpers and we're hellfire preaching. But there isn't enough hellfire preaching today. There isn't enough fear of God in, in our society. Uh, in fact, there's hardly any belief in God in our society. Uh, most, most of uh, uh, evangelical so-called Christianity, fundamental Christianity, is their churches are filled, as I said earlier, with practicing atheists. They say they believe in God, but they practice atheism as though he doesn't live, though, though he doesn't exist, and though, though we are not accountable to him. We are personally accountable to a holy God who hates sin in every shape and form. But along with hating sin, he has provided a way out of it. That's the glorious truth of it. He said, I search the heart, I try the reins, I'm going to give every man according to his way, and God's justice will be true. God's going to give everybody according to what they do. What does living in sin do with the heart? Zechariah 7.7 7. Should you not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity in the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain? And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it is come to pass 
that as he cried and they would not hear, now listen to this, this is the gospel. It goes out and sounds forth through the whole world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, such as we're preaching tonight and do every week. It is God crying out to a world of sinners that he wants to save. Therefore, it has come to pass that as he cried, they would not hear. So they cried. And he said, I wouldn't hear. You know what that means? When people turn away the gospel and then uh, life comes flooding in on them and sorrows and heartaches and sickness and accident and, and loss of, uh, of all sorts of things that people are trying to make themselves happy at, then they cry out to God, but he doesn't hear them. He cried out to you and you ignored him. You refused to hear him. And so when your cry comes to him, he's not going to pay any attention to you. That's what he's saying. So they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, and no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the, the pleasant land desolate. You see, back there, God laid it out and he said, If you obey my commandments and statutes, I'm going to bless you unbelievably. And if you do not obey them, I'm going to curse you unbelievably. He laid it out there plain. And that's exactly what the true preaching of the gospel does. It lays it out here plain and says, you're a sinner bound for hell, but God has made a way that you can be saved from your sins and go to heaven someday. That's what the gospel is. Plain and, and, and simple. We're not putting any sugar coating on it. And we're not, uh, we're not looking at people and respecting them. Uh, all faces look alike. All people uh, have to meet God alike. Every one of us, including me, I have to stand before God and give an account for my life just the same as you do. Only I have more responsibility because I have greater life than some of you. I have greater responsibility and I feel that down in my soul. And so I want to bear my whole soul to you and tell you the whole word of God no matter how painful it might be to you and to your life and how misunderstood I might be and how you might feel about me. It doesn't matter because the message is the most important thing, not the messenger. It is the message of God that though you are dead in trespasses and sins, you may be redeemed from them in this life and make heaven your home. And everybody wants to make heaven their home. You talk to almost uh, anybody and they'll say, yes, I want to go to heaven when I die. And the Negroes took it up and they made a spiritual and they said, heaven, heaven, I want to go to heaven when I die. But then they went a little further and said, heaven, heaven. Everybody talking about heaven, ain't going there. Not everybody who says... Uh, my wife was talking to a, a lady tonight, uh, uh, urging her to come to meeting. She's over there in a false church somewhere where they preach false doctrine, where they say you can be saved and still commit sin and still be saved and, and things like that. We've been talking to those people for years. Her husband won't let her come. And he sat there one night with some of the folks in the congregation here and, and uh, denied that we could live free from sin in spite of what the scriptures say. And then he said in the next breath, oh, I know without a shadow of a doubt I'm going to heaven when I die. Yet he admitted to being a sinner. But he's going to heaven when he dies. That's what he's saying with his mouth. But on the other hand, he's saying that he's a sinner, which is an absolute contradiction to what he said the first time. And then he won't let his wife come to meet him. Well, she's got to come to the place where she's going to realize what Jesus said, except you forsake father and mother and sister and brother and lands and your own life also, you're not going to be my disciple. She's got to come up to the realization that her soul is accountable to God and she's going to have to do what God says in spite of her husband. And everybody's got to do that. And that's not easy to do. I wouldn't say it's easy for anybody. They wouldn't hear. He cried. And so when they cried, he wouldn't hear. It hardens people's hearts. Matthew 6 and 19. 
to live in sin hardens people's hearts. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moss and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how can we do that? It says, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where, what you're doing with your money, that's where your heart really is. So it, it tends to worldliness. What, is, what else does sin do to the heart? Matthew 23 and 28. We'll start with 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of uncleanness, all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. What is he describing here? He's describing religious people. He's also describing preachers. I heard a, a message one time. Uh, the, the brother said, uh, talking about people in churches, he said, there are sinners in the choir. There are sinners on the usher board. Now this is a Negro congregations. They got all these things. He said, there are uh, sinners in the Sunday school. I mean, teachers, you know. And then he said, sometimes there are sinners in the pulpit. So you see, Jesus was talking about people who were leaders. And yet, he called them hypocrites. You appear righteous unto men. But within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Hypocrisy is just nothing more than acting it out. Acting out. You know, you can be around people socially and, and even religiously, and pretty soon you can catch on to the language. You can catch on to what, how you're supposed to act, and you can act this thing out, because that's what hypocrisy really is. But if you don't have it in your soul, you can't feel it. Like the songwriter says, I feel it so deep in my soul, and rejoice over that fact. Hypocrisy. You always have to be acting all the time, acting out the part because other, of what others are expecting you of. And that's why the heart is so deceitful. And that's what Jesus was trying to expose among these religious hypocrites here. He said, you look pretty good on the outside, but I know what's down in here, down in the heart. I know what's there, and God knows what's there. And that's why I say a profession of salvation is ridiculous in the sight of God. Why make a profession of something that you do not have when you can have the real thing? Why would you take a, a counterfeit $10 bill when you can have a real one? You can't spend a, ten a counterfeit. They'll be taking it up, picking it up from you pretty quick. Don't have a counterfeit profession. Get the real experience. And we're talking about a heart experience. We're talking about experience that affects the heart, which affects the whole life. We've been talking about the issues of life, haven't we? Matthew 15 and 8, one verse says, Seven, again, he calls them hypocrites. He said, you hypocrites, and he's talking to religious leaders now. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And what was the reason? But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There's a lot of false religion around. John said, uh, Beloved, try the spirits, try the teachers, and see whether they be true or not. The, when he said try the spirits, it means teachers. Find out whether they're teaching the word of God or just they're teaching something 
that uh, a vision of their own head, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And I told you on another occasion, there's one certain way you can tell a false prophet from a true one, and that is, does the man believe and have an experience of salvation so that he lives free from sin? For you see, those people that live free from sin, they're the ones that are saved, and those people that do not, they're not saved. I don't care what kind of profession they are making, whether they are preaching or whatever they are doing, if they don't believe and have an experience that has saved them from all sin in this life, they're not of God. That's the basic reason you tell between false Christianity and true Christianity. That's the doctrine that separates the saints from the sinners. And if they don't believe it, they're not, they're not ready to come right out and say, oh yeah, yeah, I believe it. You know, they're not ready to talk glibly about that. They may talk to you uh, for hours on end about the millennium and, and, uh, and the speaking in tongues and the, and the future age and and they may talk to you about uh, uh, dispensationalism, and, and they may talk to you about all sorts of talk to you about all sorts of their doctrines. But when it comes down to whether we sin or not, that's the separating point. True believers do not sin. False ones, like he's talking about here, they honor him with their lips. They draw nigh unto them to him with their mouth. But he said, their heart is far from me. With their mouth, they're saying, they're saying, I'm born again. With their mouth, they're saying, I'm saved. But God knows that there's sin in their heart. And as long as that sin is in their heart, they're not saved. They cannot be saved while sin is in the heart. That's a scriptural and spiritual impossibility. You cannot be saved un uh, unless that salvation frees you completely from sin. And any preacher that tells you that you can, you're born again and you can still commit sin, he is a liar. He does not tell you the truth. He is leading you astray. He's one of those, I said earlier, uh, men will deceive you. And we're not preaching on holiness tonight, but it always gets in there somewhere, doesn't it? James 1 and 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, that man's religious religion is vain. And, and that's just what I was talking about a couple a minute ago. Bridling not the tongue. You know, some people, you listen to them talk, and it just isn't Christian language. I know a preacher, sometimes I play basketball with him, and he professes somewhat the same experience that we do in the Church of God. In fact, he calls his place the Church of God. I heard that man no less than two times in, in ten minutes take the Lord's name in vain using the slang term. Not coming right out and asking God to, to damn someone or something. He used the slang terminology. And yet he professed to be saved and he's leading other people. He's the elder of the congregation. He did not bridle his tongue. What was in his heart was coming out during the course of the basketball game. And what does he say? The man's religion is vain. That's what God says about it. Got to put a bridle on our tongue sometimes and not just say the things you know sometime a word a word out of season like a foot out of joint you can't take them back remember the feathers they just fly all over the place well what are we going to do about this awful heart we've been talking about tonight we've been talking about all negatives i like this part of it better because it is the positive point viewpoint and over in deuteronomy 4 and 29 found out we don't have a very good heart, what are we going to do about it? 
We're going to seek after God, aren't we? We're going to seek after Christ. Deuteronomy 4 and 29. But if from thence, that means from their backslidden condition, they went back and did everything wrong that they were not supposed to do, but God said, even if you've got the kind of heart we've been talking about up to now, he says, even from thence, <coughs> thou shalt seek the Lord thy God. Thou shalt find him. How? If thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You know, that's the only way in the world anybody's ever going to find God. You're not going to find him in the majority of churches where they carry on a little form of religion. You're not going to find God there. How are you going to find God? Well, you're going to find him in his word. You're going to find him in his church. And you're going to find him if you'll seek with him with all your heart and all your soul because that's the only way in the world you're ever going to find God. I mean in the... Just coming to church three times a week, or even some people going once a week, uh, that, that is religion. That's all that is. That isn't salvation. Because if you, for example, if a young man found a young lady that he was very enamored by and he just thought the world of her, there was nothing wrong with her. She was, she was a perfect person. You know how it is. Love is blind. And uh, <laughs> nothing's wrong with her. She's just, I've been waiting all my life for her. <laughs> Something like that, you know. And, and um, he'll go and tell his friend to get all excited. He said, I found her. I found the one I've been looking for. I, I could love that girl with all of my heart. And he knows what he means. And so he does everything he can to cause that girl to love him in return. Or vice versa. It could be the other way around. Well, the gospel awakens us to the fact that God loves us with an everlasting love. He's not willing that, he, that we should go to hell, but we're on our way there anyway because of this evil heart we've been talking about tonight. And so when we find out that we can escape the damnation of hell and escape the misery of a life of sin, then we begin to seek after the Lord. But how are we going to find him? Uh, only if we seek after him with all of our heart and all of our soul, and that's a whole lot more than religion. I'm not inviting anybody to religion. I'm inviting you to a life. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, year in and year out, this is a life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. First of all, he said, I've come that you might have life. Why? Because you don't have any. All you've got is a physical existence. I'm not very good at that. He says, I've come into the world that everyone that believes in me would have life. And not only that, but they would have it more abundantly. That's what we're inviting you to. We're inviting you to uh, Christ who will give you that life freely and openly as a gift, uh, a perfect gift uh, for each and every one that will come. But you've got to search for him with all of your heart and with all your soul. That's how he said we would find him. Luke 8 and 15 is part of the parable of the sower. Four kinds of hearts receive the message, just as there might be here tonight. Four kinds of hearts. The seed, the word of God, fell on four kinds of people with four kinds of uh, hearts. The first one heard the message and discounted it and went away and forgot about it. The next one considered it a little bit, but then when things got hard, they went away. 
The third one, they accepted it, but then the cares of life kind of choked it out, and so they gave up after a while. And the fourth one, that's the one we're talking about. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart. I pray to God there's somebody like that here tonight. An honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. There are not very many people in our generation like this fourth heart. They are very rare, and I haven't found many, and I've been talking to everybody that will listen for the last 28 years, religious and irreligious. I'll just talk to anybody that will listen to me about the gospel, and I haven't found very many honest and good hearts in all of that time, especially religious people. It is more difficult to get religious people to own up to the fact that they are lost than anybody else. You can go down and talk to a prostitute and she knows what she is. And you can go down and talk to a thief in the, in the jail and he knows what he is. He's making no profession at all. But religious people like this man I told you about who, who kept his wife from coming to meeting tonight and consequently kept his son from coming as well. Now, he doesn't want to have anything to do with us because he doesn't believe that you can live from, uh, free from sin in this life. And the poor man is going to, if he continues that way, wake up someday and find out that it was true and he missed heaven. Having a good and honest heart, heard the word and kept it and bring forth fruit with patience. Not very many in this society, in this generation. And Jesus said, few there be that would find it. And Adam Clark said, fewer there be would stay on it. And fewer less than that would make it to heaven in the final day. So you see, it's, it's not an easy thing, but it's worth everything that you do to make salvation real in your life. An honest and good heart. That's what God is looking for. He said, he said God is looking all over the world. And what is he looking for? He's looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. People that will not be satisfied with false religions and false opinions and, and false Christianity, but they want the real thing. That's who God is looking for. Good and honest people who uh, will obey his gospel. Not only that, when we come to realize what we are in the sight of God, this wicked heart in Psalm 51 and 16, David cried out. He said, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Some people would, would do anything physically to be accepted of God, but that isn't what God wants from us. He said, Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. How do people get saved? They come to the realization that they are a lost and hell-bound sinner. Now, that's not an easy thing for people to admit. And when you realize that, the fear of God begins to come into your soul and into your heart. And you realize that you're in danger of going to hell in that state. And you're in danger every moment of your life in that state. Every sinner is in danger of dying and going to a devil's hell tonight. Everyone that's a sinner tonight. But by realizing this and coming to God with a broken spirit, pride is one of the things that keeps people from coming to God. And a broken spirit will break that pride. And a contrite heart, one that realizes that there is nothing that you can do to merit the favor of God, you simply fall on the mercy of God. You need mercy. If you're a sinner tonight, you need God's mercy. You need his forgiveness, and you need it bad. 
because if you do not attain it in this life, you're going to wind up dying in your sins and going to a devil's hell. I'm telling you the truth tonight, and God is backing it up. A contrite heart. What will salvation give us when we attain to it? Ezekiel 36 and 24. Ezekiel is prophesying of what would take place when Jesus would come. He said, this is what's going to happen. He said, I will take you from among the heathen. What is a heathen? Are we heathens in this country? Well, I thought those folks over there in Africa in the bush country, running around throwing spears at each other and drinking blood, I thought they were heathen. Well, they are. They're heathens by birth. They don't know any better. But are there heathens in this country? There could be. And how would they be? We, if we are heathens, would be heathens by choice. For what is a heathen anyway? A heathen is a person who does not, one of the explanations is, that he is a person that does not believe in the God of the Bible. He said, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you unto your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean for all, from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart. Remember I talked about those people that, that their hearts became like an adamant stone? He says, I'm going to take that stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. God's going to give you a heart transplant. You ever think about that? People waiting around for a physical heart transplant. Waiting around for, for transplants for livers and, and they transplant just about everything except someone's head. They haven't done that yet. God said that he'll give us a heart transplant. Our heart has become petrified in sin. And God wants to give us a heart of flesh back, a spiritual heart, if you please. He said, I'll give you a new heart and I'll give you a new spirit and I'm not going to charge you $50,000 for it either. I saw a bill uh, shown uh, for a, uh, something to do with a, a bypass surgery or something or other, and they were typing it up on the com uh, computer on the television screen, and it was up there around $22,000. Well, who in the world can pay for things like that? And they're waiting in line, and they put on the back of your uh, uh, driver's license, do you want to donate your organs when you die uh, in an automobile accident? We'll take your organs and give them to somebody else. And uh, it's, the expense of it is almost staggering and the expense of living in sin is even more staggering and God said I'm going to give you something for nothing I'm going to give you this gift I'm going to give you a new heart I'm going to take out this old stony hard heart uh, this proud heart that says I'm doing it all myself I'm controlling my own life I'm making it all right in this life God's going to take away that kind of heart and that kind of spirit and he's going to give you a new heart and a new spirit that's what salvation does for us gives us a new heart and a new spirit we think totally different in fact the scripture says if any man be in Christ he is a new creation uh, all things pass away and behold all things become new I talked with a truck driver down at the restaurant the other day and he said you know I, I'm born again now I've I was a terrible person at one time and I got born again but I'm still smoking and I said well didn't salvation take that away from you he says no no I'm an awful time with it he says I, I even drank for a while and, and I says well what kind of salvation are you talking about don't you know the Bible says all things pass away behold all things become new salvation cleans us up inside and outside 
I want to tell you about myself, if I may. Uh, I used to smoke from the time I was 11 years old till I was 24, a couple packs a day. Some, I got in with the wrong crowd of kids and they got me to smoking and I just kept it up and kept it up and I didn't think I could ever live without them. I just had to have another cigarette like the song says. And uh, about six months before I got saved, I decided to quit. You know, that's the easiest thing in the world to do. I did it a hundred times before then. It's easy. And, but I got sick of the taste and I got sick of being sick and I used to play professional baseball and I went out to play a game one time and I got through about half the game and I got pain right here and it was so bad I couldn't hardly move my shoulder and throw the ball or do anything. I had to leave the game. And I was just a young man. I just shrugged it off, said, oh, that's just nothing to it. And I went back and left. But those were warning signs to me. I didn't realize it then. About six months before I got saved, I quit. And for two weeks, I was going crazy and, and um, just about chewing on leather. But I determined that I wasn't going to go back to him this time. And so I, I made it up till the time I got saved. And when I got saved, I had no desire whatsoever for him anymore. And there was one time I thought I couldn't live without smoking. And now, for 27 years, 28 years, uh, smoke is repulsive to me. I have to get away from it. You don't have to smoke. If God wanted you to smoke, you'd put a stack in your head, wouldn't you? <laughs> and you don't have to drink either. What is drink anyway? Alcohol goes right into the bloodstream does not stay in the stomach at all, goes immediately into the bloodstream and begins to destroy both brain cells and nerve ends that never do reproduce themselves. And it's about 70% sugar anyway, and so is tobacco. They, fill, they dip all these uh, tobaccos in, into uh, uh, molasses. And, and uh, that's a whole other subject, sugar. <laughs> One fellow was telling me, he says, you know, my wife made a study on people in the old people's home. He says he noticed that people whose history was they ate all kinds of pies and cakes and all kinds of sugar. He says, you know, uh, they're 65 years old and they're nothing but a vegetable just laying around, you know, dragging. He said, and then he knew other, they made a study on other people and they were up in their 80s and 90s and, and their sugar intake was not very much at all, all during their whole lifetime. And he says they were alert, their minds were clear, uh, they, they could uh, get around pretty good, you know, and, and he said that was quite interesting, the intake of granulated sugar. I understand that they stack it in the warehouse in the big bags and they just leave it there. Nothing touches it. The bugs won't get at it. The rats won't get at it. Nothing, nothing in the animal world wants to have anything uh, to do with granulated sugar. So what are we doing with it? Just about everything we eat has got sugar in it. So you see, the Lord can enlighten us about those things too. We don't have to do the things that we did. We think that we can never live without them. Well, you get a good experience of salvation and you'll find out, you'll say to yourself, why in the world did I ever take them up in the first place? Salvation is deliverance from all of these things. It is deliverance from the debilitating habits and it will even change your thinking patterns. You remember, he said, out of the heart are the issues of life. He's going to give us a new heart. What's that heart going to be like? Acts 15, 8 and 9. <laughs> You've heard that expression, no, there's nobody perfect. No one's perfect. Well, I'm going to surprise you tonight a little bit in this part of the message, and you're going to see from the scriptures that there's quite a bit of difference from that talk and what the Bible says. 
Acts 15, 8 and 9 says, concerning who was it? Can't think of his name. Peter went down and preached to him. Cornelius, thank you. So Peter is rehearsing what happened at Cornelius' house. And he said, And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. What happens when their hearts were purified by faith? They had a pure heart. Well, if we have a pure heart, uh, spiritually speaking, there can be no room for contaminants in a pure heart, can there? Anything that's pure does not, is not contaminated with anything, is it? Matthew 5, 8. <coughs> Blessed in the Bible means happy. Here's one of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Didn't I write her up here saying somewhat the same thing? Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness and purity of heart are the same thing. Blessed are the pure in heart. It is possible in this life to have a pure heart. We may have a perfect spirit in an imperfect body. I like that expression. Someone said that a long time ago. It isn't original with me, but it is very good. We can have a perfect love to God, for God, and a perfect love for our fellow man because Jesus made it possible. I know that the, the writer said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That is true. But there is a part that we have to do for the scripture says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So it's something that we have to do too. We may have a pure heart. Jesus said, happy are those that have a pure heart. First Timothy 1 and 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity, which is love, out of a pure heart. And of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. In other words, no faked feign. You see, the just, the people that are truly saved, live by faith. Totally and completely by faith. It is a walk of faith. We get in by faith. We stay in by faith. And we die in the faith. The whole realm of Christian experience is by faith in the unalterable word of God. This is God's word. It is his thoughts. How do we know about God? How did he reveal himself to us? By his spirit, by the living word, which is Christ, and by the word of God, which is the Bible. That's the only way in the world we know uh, what, how God is and what he is like and what he has done for us. Out of a pure heart, he says, and out of faith, unfaith. 2 Timothy 2 and 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, which is love, Peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul knew some people with a pure heart. And yet we've got preachers and all kinds of evangelicals going around here saying, we can't live in this world without a pure heart. Well, what are they reading? Aren't they reading the same Bible that we are? Isn't it the same book that they're talking about? But you see, in order to prop up their false religion, they avoid these scriptures. They don't talk about them. They just ignore them and keep people away from them. But we're not going to do that. We're going to give it all to you, bless God. We're going to tell you everything that the Lord said. He said, uh, we may have a pure heart. And we, some people were talking out of a pure heart. 1 Peter 1 and 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, 
through the spirit of unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. We love one another because we first love him. We love each other because we love him. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. One of the first things that happens to a congregation or a church that professes Christian, one of the first, first things that dissipates out of them when they're going back is that they don't love each other anymore. Love goes out the window and trouble comes in to take its place. But he says, that isn't true. He says, you should love one another with a pure heart fervently. And who wouldn't want to join a group of people that that love each other. It's genuine and genuine Christianity. Well, a pure heart is where Christ dwells. In Ephesians 3 and 17, I think I'll start with 14 or 13. He says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Let me stop there and just digress a little bit. The reason the name of the church is the church of God is, this is one of those scriptures that pertain to it. Now there are about 13 other places in the New Testament where it refers to the church and its name as the church of God. Here it says, he bowed his knees unto the Father of our Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The church of God is in heaven, and the church of God is here down on earth. And we represent that church uh, right down here. We're a, we're a congregation of the universal church of God, which is all over the world. And, and he said, the whole family, uh, the church of God is likened to a family, said some of the family has gone on to heaven, and some of the family is still down here on earth. But the name is... I bow my knees unto the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The, the church of God. That's the name of the church. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you be rooted and grounded in love. Christ dwells in the pure heart by faith. He talks about it also in Galatians 4 and 6. Because you are sons... God hath sent forth the spirit of, of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit, the capital S, is the Holy Spirit. He has sent the Holy Spirit of his Son, the Spirit of his Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we go back to Romans 5.5 5 for our last verse. What kind of heart does he dwell in? He dwells in a pure heart. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. God dwells in a pure heart. He makes it that way through salvation, full salvation. We find a simple little drawing that we have up here. It speaks uh, more words than I could say. When the little baby is born in infancy, I talked about that, that deceitful heart, that wicked heart from the earliest existence. It's featured here in a little twig in the ground of the heart. It's not pure. There's something in there. 
it's the inherent nature that causes us to do wrong. <coughs> then we go up and we reach the age of accountability and we know right from wrong and we transgress God's commandments, any of the Ten Commandments, we transgress them. The little twig then becomes like our picture, a great big tree, and we are lost. We have a lost heart and a lost life. Somewhere between innocency and the, the age of accountability, someone has sinned and brought about this in their life. Now when we come to Christ and we get forgiveness and we believe by faith and are penitent, then the Lord cuts off all transgressions that we have committed. Should we die that way, we would have gone to a devil's hell. He cuts the tree down, but the stump still remains. The little twig and the little infant has become a stump in the adult. And then when we give that life that he has given us back to him, we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. He sends the Holy Spirit down, baptizes us, and the Holy Spirit, when he comes, as he did on the day of Pentecost, he did two things, one negative and one positive. The, the negative thing was to root out this evil nature. He destroys this nature. It was spoken of as purifying their hearts by faith. And then the Holy Spirit comes to live within the heart. We've been talking about the heart tonight. I didn't even think about this till just now. This is the pure heart. The Holy Spirit then dwells within. And our life is made pure. We are restored again to that experience that Adam and Eve had before they sinned in the garden. The whole plan of God's salvation from Genesis to Revelation is to restore us back to what Adam and Eve had. Isn't that a wonderful truth that you're not hearing in some false church? They're telling you that God doesn't have enough power to save us and keep us from sin. That's what these false preachers are telling you. They're telling you that Christ's sacrifice was in vain because it, could, it didn't make possible that you could live without sin. But they're not telling you the truth. And why stay in a place that's not telling you the truth? If you want the whole truth, uh, the truth and nothing but the truth, you will find it with the people of God the true people of God. And this is what we've been talking about tonight. It is possible. And Christ has made it so. If I can get anything to your mind and your heart tonight, it's that truth that Jesus, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, tore down all this false idea about sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And what are the works of the devil in everybody's life? It's sin. And he came to destroy sin. Not only the committed sins, but the very inherent nature of sin. So that he could come and live within our heart and we could have a pure heart and a pure love to God, a pure love to our brethren, and a, and a pure love to everyone else. We could love our enemies, which isn't natural for us. We could, uh, we could even be willing to die for Christ without ever resisting anybody. And, and we not only feel that way, but it, it's not just like a lot of churches where uh, they, uh, their attitude is, it's us for and no more and close the door. The church of God, the redeemed ones with God in their heart, 
We're a redeeming community. Community. We're in the world to get people to Christ, to get them saved, to get them uh, on the highway of holiness, so to speak, so that they can be happy and get somebody else saved. The early church in the first hundred years, they went all over their pagan society and they completely inundated the Roman Empire and they didn't even raise a sword. And if they had guns, they wouldn't have fired a bullet. By the power of Christ in them, by the power of love, they totally destroyed the Roman Empire. But it wasn't long until they began to fall away. And, and now, for all of these centuries, we've had a false Christianity. But there has been a true, and we represent this tonight. And God has an experience for you that will make your heart just as pure as we're talking about up here. On page 147 in this hymnal, we want to sing a song. The songwriter said, Lord, take the first place. And you know, the Lord isn't going to have any other place but that. You might as well fix that in your mind real good tonight. If you begin to seek after God because of some, some enlightenment and some revelation in this meeting and other meetings that you've been to, you're going to have to realize right off the top that, you, that the Lord is going to be first or he's not going to be at all. He is going to have first place in your life and in my life or he's not going to have any place at all because the scripture says we are bought with a price. We are not our own anymore. We've given ourselves over. We've surrendered lock, stock, and barrel to him. We've messed up our lives completely before and now we've given them over to him and we want him to have first place in our lives and for 28 years I found it the best way to, do, way to go and the best way to be. Uh, although the Lord had to uh, chasten me as he does everyone else along the way, yet in my heart of hearts, I wanted to go with God all the way. There were a lot of people and a lot of devils that wanted to push us aside along the way. But that inner voice, that innermost person kept saying, I want to go with God. I found this way of life. I found this life and I want to stay on it. And you can find it too. And the Lord can be first place in your heart and religion won't mean a thing. After all, Christianity is a person. We worship a person, not a organization, not a Presbyteria, not, a, uh, not anything else but Christ. Each individual. That's why I've told you on many occasions, I'm not going to be a babysitter in the church of God. I expect you to be intelligent enough to come to God the way the scripture says and continually each day to follow after God and seek after Him. I'm not going to babysit you. I don't have to babysit you. You've got the same word that I have. And, and, and the preaching is designed to cause you to believe in Christ and to walk with Him. Our songwriter in 147 says, Lord, take the first place. This is a prayer of someone's heart. Someone who will come to Christ tonight, he says, I yield to thee, Savior, forsaking my all. From sinful things now I will part. To thee I surrender, for mercy I call. You see, a person when is a sinner is in rebellion against God, therefore they need to surrender. And everybody needs mercy because everyone who is unsaved is a condemned sinner waiting on the death row of God's cell until the executor comes. So we need mercy. And he says, come take the first place in my heart. Oh, take the first place in my heart. Take the first place in my heart. I open the door. Come in, I implore. Lord, take the first place 
in my heart. May God bless his word in your hearts. Oh!